If you are a college sports fan, and we'll just, we'll just go to basketball, um, there is a terminology that has come into play lately called the transfer portal. If you are playing, say, for example, on the Indiana University men's basketball team, and you don't like your playing time, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better for you, and so you can enter the NCAA transfer portal. You can put yourself in the portal. You can make yourself available to other schools, and if they want, then they can take you, and you can then be a member of that team on the opposition school, and you can play for that school, if you're good enough, the very next year. Now, do you suppose if somebody is on the IU basketball team and they're getting all the playing time they want and they think they're doing well and they like the coach in the school, do you think somebody that likes where they are, do you think they would put themselves in the transfer portal? No, that would be silly. Why would you do that? Have you ever known followers of Jesus put themselves into a, a different type of transfer portal. I know we don't need to be judgmental and condemning and doesn't mean that we can't observe. And the fact is that there are people that I know personally that at one time followed Jesus, but out of their own mouths, they've let me know that they are no longer following Jesus. They may not think they're on the opposition team, but they left Team Jesus behind. And you may very well know people who have entered from Jesus' team, the transfer portal, and gone to another team. As we continue in our King Me series, there are two Israelite kings I want us to compare and contrast this morning, and they are King Saul and King David. Saul was Israel's first king. David was Israel's second king. Both men uh, became king when they were 30 years of age, and they both reigned for 40 years. Both men were chosen by God to be king. Both men started their reigns as king, being dependent on God. One king remained faithful, but the other one entered the transfer portal. This morning we're going to be looking at four choices of the heart of a king. And we will find these choices lived out in David and or Saul. But the fact of the matter is, these four choices are choices that you and I make all the time. We've made them in the past. We, make them, we, we will make them before the day is over. We will make them tomorrow. Just because we're not royalty, we still have these same four choices. May we choose wisely when the opportunity comes. There's a prayer that's coming up on the screen. So I want you to pray with your eyes open. And there are three requests that 
I have of God, and I hope you can see those and you make those yours. God, may I see my heart as you see my heart. May I consistently make wise choices, and may my heart belong to you. So put it in your own words, whatever those are, and Father, may our hearts belong to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Number one, the heart of a king yields to God's will. As a young man, Saul and, well, he's around right about 30, Saul and one of his dad's workers go look for some donkeys that have escaped the property. While they are looking, Saul meets Samuel the prophet. God has already spoken to Samuel and says to Samuel, I want you to anoint Saul to be my first king of Israel, which he does. And if you're following along in your printed word or your electronic word, we are in 1 Samuel, and we are beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. So God took something that was good and made it better. Not too long after, when Samuel made it public that Saul was to be the king, verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, do you see this man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Later, when Saul learned that an Israelite city needed to be rescued, what was his response? Chapter 11, verse 6. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. So, as a young king, Saul yielded his heart to God's will. What about your heart? Is your heart yielded to God's will? Do you find, if you think about it, that in the past, your heart was more yielded to God than it is today? Or do you find it to be that more so today, your heart is yielded to God? Which was it more in the past? Or has it increased your ability and your desire to yield to God? Has that grown as you've gotten older and hopefully matured in your faith? Let's move forward 30 years and Saul is around 60. God, through Samuel, has told Saul that he needs to go fight the Amalekites. We're in chapter 15, beginning at verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel, oh, a couple hundred years ago, when they waylaid them as they came up out of Egyptian captivity, with Moses being their leader. Now go. Attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep 
camels, and donkeys. Seem pretty harsh? Yeah, I understand. What do you do when God lets you know that he wants you to do something, but you really don't want to yield to his will? Let me ask it again. What do you do when you know God wants you to do something, but you really don't want to yield to his will? Make excuses, rationalize, say it was your brain and not God's spirit talking to you. Do part of it, totally ignore God. What, 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 what is your usual habit? Or what area of your life do you kind of go back against God? What did Saul do with his instructions? Chapter 15, down at verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel the prophet got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel, it's a mountain. There he has set up a monument to his own honor, hmm, good job, and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. They have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, mm, Excuse me, but what, what is this uh, bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the best, the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. And though Saul may not have crossed his arms physically and rolled his eyes physically and Side, I am persuaded that he did all of those inside his head because he's going, okay, tell me, Samuel, what you got to tell me. All right, go ahead, go ahead, just tell me. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission, saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag the king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Did Saul really not get it? Do you and I really not get it? Do we not get how important it is to yield to God's will and to obey God 95% of the time? Oh, wait.
But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed, to pay attention, to do what you're supposed to do is better than the fat of rams at some sacrifice. For rebellion, which Saul you got, is like the sin of divination and arrogance, which Saul you have in spades, like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Do you yield to God's will in everything? How many of you have noticed the new left turn signal at Edwardsville Plaza by Cash Saver and Circle K? Y'all not drive? Okay, so this week, I was up there and they have, have a, 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 you have to wait for this little red arrow to change to green. And so I was waiting a year and a half at this signal light <laughs> this week. And green and people this way were coming and there was, there was nobody, there was, there was nobody coming this way in the green light. A turtle could have crossed 30 times safely because nobody was coming and I'm stuck at this stinking red light. Why not a little flashing yellow light? But no, it's red. Saul had been king 10 years before David was born. Saul is 40 years older than David. When Saul is 55 to 60 and David is 15 to 20, God had Saul, God had Samuel anoint David to be king. The people that were watching Samuel anoint David to be king were David's dad and his seven brothers. At that point, it was going to be 10 to 15 years before David was going to be king. The heart of a king, number two, respects God's timing. When he is old enough, David joins the army and is very good at soldiering, such that whenever the army goes out and they come back after a victory, then uh, people dance around and they say things, and they were saying things such as, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands, which really ticked off Saul. David a thousand, Saul was tens of thousands, made Saul angry. These things are in chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 18. At one point, David was playing a harp or a lyre for King Saul. One day when David was playing, Saul threw his spear at David twice in one day. David alluded him both times. What I really want to know is, why did David give him the second chance? Why did he not leave? I don't know why, but he didn't. Saul gave one of his daughters in marriage to David. Saul wanted his daughter to be a distraction to David so that when he went to fight, he would be killed by the Philistines. King Saul wanted a dowry, a payment from David for the wife that King Saul was to give him. What it required was for David to go out and kill at least 100 Philistine soldiers. 
which he did, did not get killed, brought back the trophies to Saul. Chapter 19, Saul wanted Jonathan, the very best friend of David. King Saul wanted his son Jonathan to kill David. Wasn't going to happen. Many other times, Saul tried to kill David. And all the while, David respected God's timing. He yielded his will to God's timing. He didn't rush God. He didn't push God. He didn't complain to God and say, why don't you get rid of this nutcase soul and let me be king like you've already known? He didn't say that. He didn't say that. David trusted God enough to let God do things on his schedule. So what we do? Do we trust God enough to do things on his schedule? The heart of a king and the heart of a person who respects and loves God respects God's timing. And speaking of God's timing, tomorrow officially marks the day that I will no longer be the senior minister at Georgetown Christian Church. Yes, I'm going to be here through August, but if you would go out of this, uh, in the lobby and go down this hallway, you will notice on the name tags above Chris and Mai's door, Mai's door, is that a word? That's not a word. In front of Chris, Chris's door and my door, mine now says teaching minister, Chris's now says senior minister. Uh, there's a little note on Chris's door that says, all complaints now go here. I, I don't know who put it there. <laughs> but, but, it, but it's taped to his door. Can I remind everyone, we've got VOIP installed, and so we have this new thing called call forwarding. We're going to try it out this week. I did see the initial CT on it. <laughs> so, uh, as most of you may very well know that this transition has been planned for some time, and as I mentioned, God's timing, point number two, uh, I believe this is God's timing, and I am definitely on board with this transition taking place. I have thoroughly enjoyed working with this uh, gentleman to my left, and I believe he is the servant for this ministry opportunity at this time. Uh, he has been supportive and encouraging to me, and I will continue to be that to him. Now, some of you may have noticed, as I've not been up front as often as I have been in the past, that I've been able to attend some of the elective classes, and I will continue to do that. I will be on stage once in May, June, July, and August, but on Sunday mornings, I'm going to be going to one of the electives. I also have more time for reading. I have more time for shepherding. I am throwing some things away. I'm not as good at it as my wife would be, but nonetheless, I'm working on that. I am eager to see how God's Spirit continues to work and to turn everyday people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ here at GCC. And so, Chris, uh, by the way, I'm glad you got the sweater and the shirt and pants memo this morning. I thank you for the notice on that. Uh, I am officially handing you the golden baton, making this 
official. <laughs> Thank you. Yay! So I, I tried to convince Robin to do a basketball handoff, um, but he wouldn't hand me a UK basketball. <laughs> what was that? Amen. Praise the Lord over there, Aaron. <laughs> we were uh, beginning to plan for the transition, and I was putting together this series we would do. Uh, leading up to this time, and for some reason, Robin wasn't real excited when I said, hey, let's go through Samuel, because uh, <laughs> he says, you know, the only transition I'm really thinking about in there right now is Saul, the spear thrower, and David, <laughs> and so he wasn't a huge fan, um, but he was, of course, willing. So as I talk about the heart of a king um, our third point, the heart of a king leads with integrity. Um, I want you to think about two people we're not necessarily talking about specifically, and that would be number one, Jesus. Number one, Jesus. How do the images of Samuel and David in the Old Testament show us a type create for us an idea, project into our hearts something that we long for, and in fact, something we require, and that is a true king, a king who has perfect integrity, perfect yielding to God's will, and perfect yielding to God's timing. But I would like to take a look at Samuel. Uh, I think we'll just leave Saul behind. So imagine Jesus, number one, and then imagine Robin. I want you to imagine Robin because so many of you have known Robin far longer than I have, and we won't go into the many years because it's a long time. But it's also a blessed time because I think from the 20 years I've got to work uh, very near to him, uh, they say, I think, that you get to know your coworkers almost as well as your spouse. Have you guys heard that before? You get, to hear, like, you get to know them so much better than even your family, but maybe not as well as your spouse. And I, I thank God that Robin hasn't left his dirty socks by my door. That has been such a gift. Uh, but it's something for us to observe when we consider uh, in just the heart of a king leading with integrity now. As we look at the life of Samuel and David briefly to observe their integrity and there also, I would ask you, number one, Jesus, and of course, as Robin would illustrate himself, number two, Robin down here, the thing that's important to note about Samuel and David and Jesus and Robin is that because of the integrity with which they lived their lives, which reflects the heart of a true king, their message is thereby established as worthy of following. So examining Samuel's life, I'm in Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 12, and I want to just summarize a couple of things that Samuel's saying to all of Israel. He gathers them all together and says, all of Israel, come before me, stand before me, and I want you to testify before God about my faithfulness 
to each of you. And he goes through this seemingly laundry list of things that I didn't steal a donkey and I didn't steal an ox. And I, all of the things that, that Samuel didn't do, he has Israel then testify before God that we do hereby solemnly swear that you did not steal one of our oxen, one of our sheep, one of our donkeys. And so Samuel has them, the whole community then testify that he has lived a life of integrity before the Lord. And then he reminds them that they were unfaithful in demanding a king like the other nations because their king was God. And when you say, I just want a king that's like the other nations, you're, you're really subtracting your faith from God and you're putting it in a human. And Samuel concludes by reminding them that if you continue in uh, following the Lord, obeying his commands, then the hand of the Lord will be upon you. But if you disobey him, the hand of the Lord will be against you. Samuel reminds Israel of all of this, and we see here the image of Jesus, an image of a man who did not use his position for profit. He didn't use it for gain or for greed. He used it only to lead the people to God. But Samuel, again, is an imperfect picture, just as much as Robin would be an imperfect picture, and as much as you could live your whole Christian life in faithfulness to Jesus and still be an imperfect picture of what Jesus is. But the Lord has seen fit to put this in the Old Testament, pointing us to Jesus as our true hope, our true king. Uh, the second person we wanted to examine their integrity is King David. And it's really before he's a king, I'm summarizing from 1 Samuel chapter 24 and chapter 26, we see David's integrity just like Saul's, and Saul was unwilling to take something that was not his. Now we see David who is also unwilling to take something that is not his, and this is 24 and 26. Uh, so many of you have probably traveled with a kid or maybe with someone who has not the strongest bladder in the world. And so you know that my experience yesterday traveling to Bedford, North Lawrence, was to put the GPS coordinates in and see it says one hour and 30 minutes and see the time transpire about two hours because we had little people who needed pit stops. Well, Saul needed a pit stop. And he peeks into, or he, he just jumps into a cave when he's out hunting for David, trying to kill him. And he hops into a cave. And so many of you know the scriptures, know who was in that cave when Saul went in for a pit stop. Well, David and his mighty men, they were in that cave. And they're encouraging David, take him, take his life now. You're the rightful king. And David acts with integrity, and he only takes the cloth of the cloak of his robe. And when Saul leaves the cave, David confronts him, and Saul fake apologizes, lacking integrity. Again, you can see why Robin wouldn't want to be compared to him, and we won't. Uh, then again in 26, we see that Saul finds him. Uh, I'm sorry, David finds Saul and his army camped in the desert of Zepha, and, and David goes in and he captures his spear, and he comes back out not getting caught again, not taking Saul's life again because he has integrity which reflects the heart of our true king. And from a distance, he kind of says like, nah, 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 boo-boo, I've got your spear. You're out here again trying to kill me. Only this time he says it in front of Saul's whole entire army. So Saul, again, fake apologizes. But David acts with integrity, reflecting the heart of a true king, both David and Saul 
Act with integrity, not taking what's theirs. I think this quote is attributed to C.S. Lewis. Integrity is doing what's right when, you know it? When nobody's looking. Some of you know that quote. Uh, Doing what's right when nobody's looking. And I just have to share a story that is, it is the story that I can share. Because when no one's looking is when you see integrity. And I have seen that in the life of Robin. But so many times no one's looking because it's not something we all need to see. We don't need to see all of the things that happen inside the walls of this building. But there's one I can tell you about without any trouble. Robin's walking down the hallway and he kind of stops in front of my uh, office and says, Do you have change? And I'm thinking, like, he means change, like coins change. I, I had them. I forgot they existed, but I had them, and I gave him the change, and he walks down to the main office and he comes back, and I'm like, what did you need change for? We don't even have any kind of vending. And he says, oh, I was getting a stamp. Robin was not taking something that was rightfully his. He paid for the stamp. Now, I want to promise you I'm not going to steal stamps, but I also thought it was fitting to share with you at least one story that could be shared that is an indicator of the kind of integrity that reflects the heart of a true king. I think it's safe to say this was my, my place of most learning. Uh, it was not my first ministry, but it was my first full-time ministry. So under the leadership of Robin, I learned all different things that happen to maintain integrity. You might remember... Uh, Potiphar's wife and the situation Joseph found himself in there, where Joseph's in the house, nobody else is there, and then she, you know, tries to, uh, let's say, advance her relationship with him inappropriately, and he runs out, he didn't grab shoes or nothing, he ran out, and she grabbed his cloak, and then she claims, of course, that he was trying to make the advance, he winds up in prison. The problem was Joseph wasn't above reproach, he was there alone. So in maintaining integrity, something that I've learned at Georgetown Christian is that there's a reason that there are two trained adult volunteers with our kids in all of their environments. There's a reason that on all of our student ministry trips, you're going to have two trained adults going with our students. There's a reason that we have windows in our doors, and that when there's counseling appointments, there are going to be other staff around. And there's a reason that we have to go through an internal controls audit, which I think is making some people pull their hair out, uh, those that have it. But we want to make sure that we're above reproach, and that reflects the heart of the true king. So I want to apply to our own lives. How will our church look? And when collectively, how will Jesus look? How will the kingdom of heaven look? What will the identity of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven become like when each of us in our, let's say our business dealings, were unwilling to accept cash under the table to unfairly avoid taxes? Or what will it look like whenever we are unwilling to listen to gossip, let alone pass it on? Or what will it look like when we're only willing to speak positively about people who are not around? I believe it will indicate our willingness to reflect the heart of a true king by living with integrity. Uh, Fourth and finally, your last blank, the heart of a king serves faithfully. The heart of a king serves faithfully. Uh, Anybody that's got a job in the last, let's say, I don't know, 50 years, I'm willing to bet at the, the bottom of your job description 
it probably says these famous words that every one of us get a whole bunch of heartburn over, but it probably says these words. You can say it if you know it. Say it with me. Other duties as assigned. And some of you are doing what seems like nothing but other duties as assigned. But let's quickly review what it looks like for someone to reflect the heart of the true king by serving faithfully. And we see that in the image of David. And Robin talked about some of the things that we saw David doing, and he did them faithfully. He did them with excellence. The first time we hear about David, Saul is an, um, Samuel is anointing him. Easy for you to say. Samuel is coming to anoint him. And where do we find David? He's with the flocks. And we find out later that David is like a flock master. He's just a boss at like grabbing the lions that try to get the sheep and making sure the sheep have the food and the water that they need. So he's both providing for his flock and protecting his flock. Remember earlier an image of Jesus. David serves faithfully also in his other duties as assigned. When we see him, uh, we, we find that he is going to go to the court of King Saul, and it's presumably because Saul has this spirit that has come upon him to torment him from the Lord. And the only way that Saul can feel peace is when Saul has someone playing him the harp or the lyre. And it turns out at this time that uh, Spotify's top 10 lyre players, David's at the top. And it's uh, the, probably titled uh, Times I Was in the Pasture for a Really Long Time and Got Bored. And you had a second album really soon after that because he came into the service of Saul and was willing to have spears thrown at him. And, you know, album number two, rising up the charts, spears that were thrown at me by the king. Yes, actually. And so, Saul, so he's in the faithful service of the, the still rightful king because God has not installed him there. And he faithfully serves as a liar player. He faithfully serves when his dad says, hey, take, uh, take some uh, gogurt and some gummy bears down to the, the lines of the war between the Philistines and Israel. And, and so David is like a 3,000 years ago Uber Eats driver. He delivers the snacks and he hears about Goliath and he thinks this won't stand because he's maligning the name of the true king, the Lord. And so David's willing even then to perform other duties as a sign, to serve faithfully reflecting the heart of a true king and he acts on behalf of, in the name of, the true king defeating Goliath. And later we see, as we talked about, David's willingness to faithfully live as an anointed king of Israel, but not yet as an installed king of Israel. We see that David continues to live faithfully, reflecting, reflecting the heart of his true king. He chooses to live in caves and to live kind of on the run, instead of taking the throne that's not his. Uh, Paul writes it this way when he's writing to the church at Colossae. He, he writes these words, Whatever you do, work heartily as though, say it with me, George, as though for the Lord, not for men. Okay, I'll take it from there. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You're serving, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When the job description changes, let me just use Robin again for one more second. Been here for like 39 and a half or some of the years, a whole lot, a lot of years. You can only imagine, some of you have done this yourselves, how many times the job description changes when that other duties as a sign comes up 
and he's been ever willing to do whatever it is to serve the Lord, reflecting the heart of a true king faithfully, I would dare say this paper towel roll is empty because he was willing to continuously wash feet and wash feet and wash feet and clean another toilet lid. Uh, I would say I've seen some of that, and it wasn't his wasn't his toilet that needed cleaning, but he cleaned even toilets. Are we willing to live lives that reflect the heart of the only rightful true king when the world is not looking? That's integrity. And when the world is looking, are we willing to live lives where we lay it down every day on behalf of those that don't even know our true king. We've seen David and Samuel, and we've talked a little about Robin, but ultimately, any life we chose to talk about would only be reflecting by their behavior that is in line with the desires of the king as he establishes his kingdom of God, even here and now. But we all have a little rub, don't we? We all have a little stick. We all have a little problem, and that little, that little issue that each one of us shares is the reason that we'll have a time that Tony led us in where we remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior because our hearts don't naturally want to yield to anybody, let alone the rightful king. Our timing does not want to wait. Man, when that light was red, I swear to you, I almost pulled through it six different times in the last 24 hours. I just, I, I'm dying. And I know that you have that problem too. You're laughing because you know it's true. You, like me, we do not want to wait on the timing of the true king. We don't, we don't always live with perfect integrity. And we don't live with perfect faithfulness. So we seek a true king who establishes a kingdom worth being a part of. And I know that you are looking for a perfect king. And everywhere we look in our culture, we don't find one. I'm not going to be one. By the grace of God, I'll maybe point people to Jesus, like Robin or Samuel or David. But ultimately, our heart yearns for a king that knows our needs and meets them in a way that draws us to him. And it's only a perfectly faithful king that can do that. I'm going to share just a little bit of his faithfulness because it's so powerful. Um, a lot of you know that we have a, a little helper, we'll say, uh, who lives with us as we foster, uh, seeking just to share love. Uh, and Little Helper had a meeting at school this week that was about uh, education or something, I don't know. Uh, Andrea knows all of the details, you should probably ask her. Anyway, I'm going to this meeting with a couple of things on my mind. I'm supposed to transition to receive a golden paper towel wand today. There's a lot of pressure with this, even though it doesn't look very big. Uh, so I'm feeling that, and I'm feeling on Tuesday another meeting with our Little Helper's caseworker who says... For sure, she's going to be on her way home now because, you know what, the family's done everything they need to do. And glory to God that they're able to do that. But that's difficult for our heart. 
We've observed our hearts and our family already trying to create some distance there. So I'm going to this meeting that's about another thing for education for our little helper. And I'm going to this meeting and I have a, a, a phone call scheduled with a friend who I haven't talked to in three years, and we were great friends in high school. And he's a believer, and his life has been transformed by the love that you and I have experienced. And he's the only person I tell, I'm going to this meeting, I'm kind of nervous. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. So he says, well, I'm going to pray for that, and we'll talk after the meeting. And I'm going to tell you that in that meeting, there were a lot of really big words with a whole lot of acronyms that I don't understand, and maybe some of you would understand them. But let's just suffice to say that our little helper had people in that room that were ready and prepared to help her learn better. But what I found in that room was a person sitting across from the table who I'm thinking, I've never met this person before. But she did mention that she was in the military, and, you know, my kids were asking about that and how education works with that. So... I'm going to talk to her after the meeting, and I get to talk to her. The principal goes off this way, and one of the case workers goes off that way, and she just goes off the way that we're headed. And so I get to talk to her just for a second. I said, hey, tell me more about your experience going through the military and becoming a licensed whatever she is professional person. I, it's like psycho something. Okay, she became that. And, and I want to know more about that because I'd love to share that with my daughter. And this whole time I've lost all awareness that you know, I have this friend who just out of the blue says, in three years for the first time, let's have a conversation. And it doesn't work last week because of timing, but it works this week, on this day, after this meeting, where I take my fragile heart in there, and I feel something that I know all of you feel like, how could this possibly be good? Because, man, there's no way this is good. This is not my will. This is not my timing. And, dude, this is not faithful because it's wrong, and I think that little helper should probably just be with us. I mean, ultimately, that's what my heart is saying. And in his faithfulness, God has a person who has, you know, been through the military, catches my ear. I get to hear a little bit about what, what could happen for some of my kids that might be interested. But at the end of that conversation, I just ask one question like, wow, so did you go to college before or after you entered? Only well, before. I signed up when I was, hang on to your seats, I signed up when I was 17. I think Chris Carpenter's here. How many 17-year-olds sign up? Yeah, I signed up when I was 17 because I was in foster care. Right then, I could see that there was a king that was worth following. His plan was so much greater than anything I would ever devise because decades ago, he had a little girl who was in the same disaster of a life. And you know what he did? He brought her into a meeting where there was a guy that's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to become a preacher on this Sunday. It's really stressful. And I just don't think that I need, basically need to trust the Lord with what he's doing in my life. And friends, I think that's the kind of king that you and I are looking to follow. One that says, I know the plans I have for you. And the works I've set aside for you to do but we all struggle with our own broken hearts. So today, if you have not trusted a, a rightful king who's ready to provide for you a citizenship, a job, a place in a kingdom that's worth establishing, then today is the day that you trust him as your true king. You yield your life to him entirely. And Christian, if you have already done this and you have decided today that maybe I really need to do that again. 
Today's your day to come forward as we sing. He calls you today to be citizens that reflect the heart of the true king in the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads? God, we're so grateful that through the work of Jesus, you are reconciling us to yourself when we repent and when we trust in you alone for salvation. We're, we're remembering the, the punishments that are due each one of us with our wicked hearts wanting to go our own way have been placed upon him and that he has faithfully and perfectly carried them not only to the cross, but also to the heavenly tabernacle to make the one sacrifice for sin for all man for all time in a way that we cannot. We are so grateful for the, that he has resurrected, that he's conquered sin, he's conquered death, that he's reigning now, establishing your kingdom. And Father, that as a result, we are offered the opportunity to rightly respond by turning from our sins and placing our trust exclusively in your son, Jesus. Father, so many of us trusting you so long, walking with you for so many years, faithfully in the name of Jesus, get to look back and see the fruit you've produced in our lives by the powerful work of your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. Father, those that have just trusted, we're looking forward to seeing that work in our hearts as you produce fruit by your Holy Spirit, transforming, regenerating our hearts to become just like Jesus, that the world would know the rightful king when they see us reflecting his heart. Father God, it's our prayer that by our transformation, you would turn us into fully devoted followers of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.